Welcome to the 76th episode of the OpVac Cast. My name is Steve Cuff, and this is a very special OpVac Cast episode. I mean, they're all pretty special, but this one is special because it is our annual Oscar Omnibus, and we've decided to tweak a few things this year because we all got drunk last year, or at least they all got drunk. I wasn't involved, and it went on for six hours. So... We're going to try and keep things a little shorter, a little more concise this time, but we'll see how that goes. Maros, what do you think our odds are? Uh, well, we do have Jack Eason joining us, so maybe not great. Uh, by the way, I, I resent I, I resent this implication. I was stone sober and very miserable during that last time. <laughs> uh, by the way, I, I just wanted to say before we move on that uh, the new Fast and Furious looks lit. Oh, thank you for that. That's good to know. I mean, maybe maybe it'll make the 2019 omnibus. Who knows? Uh, resident Irish drinking man Jack Eason is here. I get a glass of water, and I will, you know, I'll try and try and behave this year. Maybe Jack. Look, the Oscars Jack, drove me to it. I, it's not my fault. I'm a victim too. Jack, what I want to know is uh, how heavy are the finger quotes around water? Well, <laughs> uh, wouldn't you like to? I guess you will find out in hour four of this podcast. That's true. That's true. Uh, Jake, you're here. Are you drinking water as well? I am here, and I've got a full glass of water. Oh wow! That's that. Here's a man that I can I can trust to drink water. Are you guys still allowed to drink water in Los Angeles? Uh, yeah, the drought is officially over, and uh, we've been allowed access to our rations again. Oh, that's good. That's yeah. great. Good to hear. Good to hear. And hey, Sean Glennis is here. Hey, Sean. Will Hamroll the cat be making a special appearance on this podcast? No, I, but I, I was, uh, I'm very excited for the exhumed segment. What are you drinking? Oh, <laughs> what are you drinking, Sean? Are you drinking anything? Uh, I got a beer. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Just one? Six pack? <laughs> well, you know, yeah, ham- I, I had to, I, I have like a little bell and as soon as I ring it, uh, ham rolls, just going to bring me in another. That makes sense. That's good. Yeah, I, I had to work an event last night, and the the there's a beer rep from Founders there, and he gave me a four-pack of Backwoods Bastards. So maybe I'll just drink that whole thing, and I will <laughs> slot myself into the Jack Eason roll. Do it. Come on. Let's go. All right. Let's do it. Why wasn't the wind that shakes the barley nominated this year? <laughs> to nominated my every year. I swear. I swear. I, I, the only time I ever hear about that movie is from Steve. Impersonating me. <laughs> I saw that movie in the in the cinema. So did you, I. You know, did Steve? I, I, Jack, did you? I, I am so. Did, was that like a mandate, <laughs> Jack? I'm so glad that you're part of the Optimism Vaccine family, mostly because when the wind that shakes the barley first came out, like 12 years ago or whatever, <laughs> uh, it, it, me and Myros made fun of our roommate Mac for going to see it for some reason. I don't know why. It's it's critically acclaimed. Presumably, and, you're racist. Ken Loach. Yeah, mostly because we, yeah, I mean, we just like harassing him about different things. And we decided to drive that one home for way too long. But now that you're part of our lives, I can always reference that movie, even though I've never seen it and know nothing about it other than Ireland. 
<laughs> well, in our defense, it's a fucking terrible title for a movie. It is. It's really bad. It's really like if I was going to just like, you know, use an Internet name generator to make an Oscar movie, I'd probably end up with Wind That Shakes the Barley. <laughs> All right, boys. Well, it, you know, it, it's kind of been an interesting year with these Oscar nominations because I feel like the Oscars have gotten a lot of flack recently. I mean, they should get flack all the time, always. But especially in the last few years, there's been different pushes to, you know, include more people of color and include more women and also to reach out and include more, I guess, populist fare, you know, the type of things that you could see in your local multiplex. And so this year, it kind of seems like the theme is something for everyone. And really, by doing that, the Oscars are for no one. Uh, But before we actually talk about some of the, the nominees, just kind of looking over the list of of what has been nominated, I, and I guess we'll we'll start with Myros on this one. Is there anything that sticks out as particularly egregious to you in terms of nominations? Uh, uh, well, a lot, but I think that I would focus on best actor. Like it, it's it's kind of sad to me. It's just a bunch of idiots doing impress. It's just literally. Vice is just Christian Bale going like Halliburton, 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 and that's that's better than John Huston's insane performance and uh, a career high for Ethan Hawke. And uh, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Also, I mean, fucking Viggo Mortensen. You Jesus must not Christ. have seen the Newton Boys. <laughs> Viggo Mortensen is just fucking rolling around, going like Buffangool. They're like, yeah, best <laughs> hey, of the year. Where's my spaghetti? Uh, well, here's a, here's a follow-up question for you. What's the fundal, fundamental difference between Christian Bale's vice performance and his Batman performance? Uh, he's fatter. Yeah, so <laughs> if, like, <laughs> I legitimately, there, there were times in, in vice where he says something and I'm like, that, that is the Batman voice. Yeah, that's, that's, yeah. <laughs> Unitary executive theory. <laughs> we need someone that's gonna rattle the voters. <laughs> I don't care if my the, daughter's a lesbian. The, the, the sad thing, and I'm, I'm sure we'll get into this later, but the sad thing is Batman has a better origin story than Dick Cheney. <laughs> yeah, I would agree with that. <laughs> Batman is a bit more complex, or at least drawn, so. Yeah, does that make Donald Rumsfeld like Raza Ghoul? Is that where he slots in there? You've already know. described a better film. Right? It's like Dick, Dick it Cheney. <laughs> Oh my god. Yeah, that's that yeah, oh boy. Uh, well and we're, we're gonna talk plenty about Vice Jake. How about you? Is there anything that sticks out from from the nominees list? Um y- yeah, really just a lot of a lot of my disappointments are wide ranging. You mentioned that the films are like there are a lot of populist fare has been nominated and I think there are a lot of just smaller, more powerful films that came out last year that I favor to anything that's pretty much nominated for Best Picture, like Burning and uh the first reformed in eighth grade films that I think could have at least uh earned a screenplay nomination, but yeah, they did not a lot of love for the uh the smaller independent features, which I enjoyed more thoroughly than the the stuff that's gunning for best picture, uh with the exception of the favorite, which I adored. But um mm-hmm. yeah, really just uh, I think twenty eighteen is just a a genuinely disappointing year. And I know some people really like it, but I can't I can't get on that level. I think uh I think this is not a great year for for cinema. Sorry to say. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, it's there's there's a lot of head scratchers. Uh, yeah. I mean, we, for best actress, we get 
Glenn Close for The Wife, but why not Sasha Baron Cohen Lifetime Achievement Award for saying My Wife? <laughs> Some, I was going to say they want to be inclusive. Where's Kevin Hart's nomination? Yeah, that's that's what I'm saying. What was he? He was in that uh, Going Back to School <laughs> Jumanji movie. Night School. Jumanji. That was this year. He was also in Night School. Yeah, Jumanji. Uh, but I think the upside will probably set him straight in 20, 2019. Well, they were going to yeah. get him to host, and then it turned That's out... That's the joke! Oh, okay. <laughs> I hadn't heard about this. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, Jack, how about you? Anything that sticks out as particularly egregious or uh, anything like that? Yes, several things. I suppose the, the main one that strikes me, you say it's an Oscar for everyone, and it kind of is. It's a really muddled field, but they still managed to uh, nominate zero women for best director in a year where there were several high profile films like you were never really here and leave no trace that got very good critical regard female directors none of that reflected in it um so yeah i I think that's a a disappointment and also i suppose uh, funnily enough i think probably best documentary has the best film the hale county this morning this evening which i don't know if we're going to approach that today but just that was like Probably one of the only films that the whole range of these that I think is actually impressive and it's probably going to get, it's not going to win. And it's just going to fall into nothingness again. And it's like the closest they got to doing something interesting this year. So, mm-hmm. oops. Oh, well. Oops. Yeah, I, the documentary category, it's another one where I'm just like, uh, I mean, like the RBG movie is on oh. there. And, <laughs> Which and that's like... Better chance. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and, and and that movie is the definition of like perfectly serviceable, but not deserving of any like massive acclaim oh, whatsoever. Hashtag resistance. Yeah, it's well, it's hashtag seems like it was made for PBS, but uh, you know that's one man's opinion. And I, I the, the other problem with with the documentary category too, because you get things like the RBG movie on there, and people think that's like, oh well, because you don't think that the notorious RBG is a great cinematic achievement, you're like taking issue with its subject matter, and that's not the case. It's just literally the the least interesting story you could tell with that movie. There's there's no. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it, it, it is what it like the, the subject matter. It's just sort of like it has inherent entertainment to it, but there's nothing there's there's no reason for it to be, a, you know, a, a great movie other than the, the subject's kind of interesting. But the, the cinematic side of it is basically uh, so, yeah. non-existent. I, su- I suppose if we wanted to celebrate something positive and then Sean will back me up on this, at least uh, Three Identical yeah, Strangers, so well. which is what was a prize-winning, highly acclaimed documentary from last year, and is also probably the worst film I saw last year, didn't get any nominations. So if you're looking for something positive, the Oscars nailed that one. Three Identical Strangers is a piece of shit, and it doesn't deserve anything but your scorn. I would I yeah, would recommend I... watching Perfect Strangers on Hulu, the 1980s sitcom uh, over somehow, Three Identical Strangers. Somehow less offensive in every way. It's a remarkable <laughs> achievement. Hey, we all love Balky, man. Bring back Balky. Uh, Sean, I would also <laughs> how about recommend, you? Yeah. Well, uh, sort of continuing off that, I would also suggest uh, Three Fugitives, starring Nick Nolte and Martin Short, instead of Three Identical Strangers. But, um, I, yeah, I mean, like, if I were to... If, I, if someone told me that Hale County was going to be nominated and Three Identical Strangers wouldn't be recognized... Um, I, I would have just been like, oh, oh yeah, that that would never happen. But you know, wishful thinking. So it's I think that is somewhat incredible. Um, but you know, I watched the Golden Globes this year, and um, sorry about that. I well, <laughs> you know, what I realized was 
I had a lot of fun watching that and it became less of less of what the awards symbolize and more of just uh a couple things uh watching really attractive people be really attractive um and then seeing people make speeches that were entertaining or uh bad uh that kind of thing it just is a it, it's it's like a reality show and um so when nominations were getting called, it was more about like, who do I want to speak? Who do I want to see speaking? So for instance, like Peter Farley, that's a terrible win because it's like the, it, it's just like, nobody wants to see that guy talk about race relations. Um, <laughs> but that's what you get instead of being able to see like Barry Jenkins, you know, pour his heart out on stage, that would have been great. And then you also get to see, because people drink at that, um, you get to see people get a little drunk like Christian Bale. Mm-hmm. Um, Unfortunately, the Oscars don't have the drinking angle, but I, I think if I, I plan on watching it this year, I didn't watch last year, but, um, I think that's how I'm going to approach it more, but, uh, and less of saying like, is this reflective of my personal taste? But, um, one of the things that I think is, uh, disheartening and Myros kind of got to this, um, you know, the other side of the wind came out last year and it was obviously a huge event and along with it where um a lot of articles and there was a documentary a couple documentary pieces that came out and one of the things that was echoed uh across a lot of those things was that Orson Welles was taken for granted <laughs> back in the 70s and 60s and, and like his whole career was taken for granted and like there's that moment where he gets like I, I, I think it's like in front of the AFI, like he gets that award and like is asking for money for the other side of the win. And everybody's like, well, we don't really care about you. This is just sort of like for appearances. And and it's like, oh, well, that's sad. It, it's literally just the same thing. Like people don't or the industry doesn't care about his work. Well, and I think that that's the American. Sad. Yeah, I don't expect the, it, the American but, industry yes, yes. doesn't care about Orson Welles and never has apparently. Yeah. But, but, and it's one of those things where it's like, oh, well, um, you know, uh, it's great. Like, it's probably like a very easy thing to be able to say like, oh, wasn't the other side of the wind great just because it's like a big deal and you're supposed to care about Orson Welles. Um, and just, but, but there wasn't an actual like sort of taking, taking it, uh, seriously in, in that industry. So that kind of sucks. Um, other than that. Yeah, I'm sure we'll get to any other problems, but yeah, th- that's sort of my big gripe. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's it's weird. Just some of the oversights there are are, are crazy, especially when a, a lot of <laughs> there's a lot of nominations for a lot of movies that literally no one really liked. So that's kind of weird. Or movies that maybe made a shitload of money, but it, it's it's hard to really assess their value. <laughs> I guess outside of making money and yeah, there's just a lot of head scratchers, especially with, I don't know, man. I mean, the first thing I want to talk about is Bohemian Rhapsody, right? So <laughs> it's like how in, in the era that we are in and with all the films out there that, that weren't nominated or, or could have used a few more nominations in certain categories, how in God's name are we talking about best picture nominee, Bohemian Rhapsody, but but here we are from acclaimed boring ass director Brian Singer, uh, 
Well, that's <laughs> if, I, if only that was the worst. Yeah. Set of <laughs> I mean, honestly, like the the only award that Brian Singer should get is like the the John Wayne Gacy Indomitable Spirit Award. <laughs> I, I can't think of him like having any value in any other category. But uh, God, you know, I, I went and saw this in the theater, and I didn't have high expectations, but I expected just sort of like a baseline level of of entertainment and and maybe a few good performances. But this movie, it feels like a complete dinosaur. Aside from the, the tone deaf nominating Brian Singer for an Oscar, <laughs> just as a movie, after something like Walk Hard comes out, what, like 10 years ago? More than that? Yeah. How yeah. in God's name can a movie like Bohemian Rhapsody exist where it's just the most streamlined, generic music biopic imaginable? I, I, it just it it blows my mind, Jake. I think you might be the only other person who saw this other than me. Yeah, that's correct. I watched it last night uh, in preparation for this discussion, and um, yeah, it's pretty much bad on all fronts. And I've read a lot of the the criticisms about it. Like you know, like you said, it's just a generic rock band biopic. Um, it's very poorly edited. Has some of the worst edit, editing and structuring I've seen all year. Um, for uh, a film about Freddie Mercury, it's a very sterile look at his personal life and his sexuality. They don't mention Flash Gordon. Um, it was directed by an alleged rapist and pedophile. Uh, but like the real problem for me is Rami Malek. I don't, he's receiving a lot of accolades and some people are saying, oh, he's the best thing about it. Makes it worth watching. I would say, no, he's not. It's, it's part of this, like this, the best actor category is all just poor mimicry. And he's got this weird affected voice and the, he can't fit into the Freddie Mercury teeth that well. And so you're just watching a terrible imitation of Freddie Mercury for two hours and 15 minutes. And then when he sings, it ends with the Live Aid performance. The singing isn't it's it's just another guy who's mixed in with Freddie Mercury's actual voice. And it's it's like, why would I why why would anyone want to watch this is what I'm saying. We can just watch the old live aid performance on YouTube. There's no Dude, Yeah. I, I can't I can't wrap my head around this one. And and people they're not just watching it, they're watching it like on a loop. Like have you seen Bo Rap Twitter? Because this exists. Oh god. These people are fucking maniacs. All they do is they just tweet all day about how they saw Bo Rap for the fourteenth time and it was even better this time around and I, I don't know what the fuck these people are snorting or smoking, but I, I got to get me some because I, it, I, it doesn't make any sense. A, a lot of these, these movies, I can, heads, man. <laughs> I, yeah, well, and that's it is do these people like it, the movie or do they just really like the band Queen? Because all the performances and this is something that people have gone on and on about. And it's also something that we talked about when we discussed the movie, The Disaster Artist, where, uh, you know, People were like, oh, and, and this scene is great because James Franco is doing a perfect impersonation of Tommy Wiseau doing this scene. And it's it's like one for one. You can put them side by side. and It's identical. It's like, who gives a shit? Yeah. And, and that's that's what the Queen thing is, too. People that live it's like performance. the end of the disaster artist. Yeah, that's, yeah the, that's the movie ends with uh, with stills of the regular people. And it's like, look, look how well we, oh, we did to make our actors look like the real thing. Didn't we do a good yeah. job? This is. This know, reminds yeah. me. It, it this kind of reminds me. I haven't seen Bohemian Rhapsody, but I, I kind of I feel like I know exactly what it's going to be. But it reminds me. One time I was hanging out with my father in law, and he turned the TV on. I think it was like the Supremes, some movie about them, 
And knowing I was into movies, he just looked at me and says, this is a great movie. This is all their best songs. And I feel, and I feel like that's, <laughs> that's what people are looking for. It's like, does it have the songs by Queen that I hear on the radio all the time? It's like, and it's just... It's like that joke, uh, my favorite Beatles album is one. <laughs> it's, pretty much like, it's just like, oh, is it this comfort blanket of like the, the Queen songs I know? And I'm assuming it's exactly that. I didn't even realize they put fake. Like, who who is concerned about whether his teeth look like Freddie Mercury's real teeth? Like, how how is this to the craft of acting? They're sticking out of his mouth like the whole movie, and he's doing the Ben Stiller Blue Steel face from Zoolander. To, and like, I'm also assuming. Back. I'm also assuming they don't touch on Queen's Sun City apartheid era performance either. I'm guessing they <laughs> no. don't go near that controversy for no, a second. No. Now, one thing that I heard, because this movie was in, like, development hell forever, and then the whole Brian Singer thing, and, it, it, you know, it's been a mess, but I guess one of the reasons why they had so much trouble getting it made was because the surviving members of Queen, they have, like, final say, like, creatively over what can and can't go in the movie, which is a surefire way to make sure that your movie is completely sterilized, basically, because these assholes... Yeah. This is, like, the straight out of Compton yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. Same thing. But, but... It gets better because originally, and the reason why this was delayed so much, I think like Sasha Baron Cohen was uh, actually attached to this project for a long time. But oh, yeah. one of the reasons why it didn't get made for so long was because the surviving members of Queen originally wanted this movie to be Freddie Mercury dies in the very beginning. And then the rest of the movie is about what Queen does and how they continue to like find success after the death of Freddie Mercury, which sounds like an amazingly stupid fucking film that no one would ever want to see except for me. Because I, yeah. I, I just imagine the hubris of being like, yeah, man, you know, it, it was really hard after Freddie died, but at least in 93, we released. The, the Miracle, everyone's favorite Queen album. The Just follows Brian May That's, getting his PhD. Yeah. <laughs> That's the thing, too, is that Sasha Baron Cohen really wanted to make, like, a raunchy look at the life of Freddie Mercury, and it was going to be a hard R-rated film, and, and the Queen member, the surviving Queen members say that we can't have that, and but anytime another band member on Queen appears on screen that is not Freddie Mercury, all of the energy just gets sucked out of the frame for me because those guys are played just by a bunch of lifeless assholes. Like the the mopey face guy who plays the drummer, I wanted to punch him in the fucking face. Can, can anyone name the drummer or bassist from Queen? Well, no, I just no saw so it's Roger Taylor and John Deacon, but still, they're Jake. What the hell is wrong with you? In the film. <laughs> I just watched it. I have notes up. Sorry. <laughs> that's that's okay. Yeah. I mean, but, but really, realistically, though, no one fucking knows who those guys are. Yeah. And it's every cliche that you could possibly come up with. Like if you if you watch Walk Hard and then you watch Bohemian Rhapsody beat for beat, they're the same movie. Yeah, it's, there's there's no difference at all. And I, well, I just I can't wrap my head around this one. I'll say this for Bohemian Rhapsody. I guarantee it's not the worst uh, biopic um, <laughs> nominated for Best Picture. Well, that's that's probably true. I <laughs> <laughs> we, we got some doozies. We got some doozies. Uh, so in addition to Bohemian Rhapsody is like this, this big populist push. The other thing that happened this year that kind of caught me off guard, but there was... Uh, a weird like online uprising for this to happen and this has been something too that people have been clamoring for since i, I guess probably the dark knight was released but uh 
Black Panther, nominated for Best Picture. Which, if you haven't seen it, it's it's a Marvel movie. It's a it's a Marvel movie. It's about it. It's a Marvel it's, movie. It's about time oh, so, uh, a movie so about superheroes gets it. Yeah, we 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 finally we finally got one, and I I get like for a Marvel movie, in terms of just like an action film, like a big budget, this costs five hundred gazillion dollars to make type of film. It's fine. And I also get that the Oscars are pushing for more representation, so this is perfect for them because it's critically acclaimed. It is a completely like watchable, uh, fun at times action film, and also it's focused on a, an African American cast, and it exceeded all expectations. It's got a great story behind it, but I I don't know. It, it's got some problems, to say the least. And at least when I saw it, I don't think everyone here has seen this one either, but when I saw Black Panther, I was like, well, that was pretty entertaining. But also, I found myself rooting for the villain more than I was rooting for the titular Black Panther. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And and the movie, it, it, it almost hints at that in the beginning, like, oh, maybe like Killmonger is the guy that you should really be uh, going for but then it, it it undercuts itself because it has to because it's a marvel movie and it can't be that complex and subversive and I, it just kind of left a sour taste in my mouth well because- you, you can't root for him because his name is fucking kill they tell you not to root for him by by naming him killmonger i think but that's, I, that's true I, I don't like that movie. I thought it was a, a pretty bad movie, honestly. I thought, I, even with someone who has some amount of patience for such things, I didn't think that Black Panther was an especially good movie. I thought it was pretty ugly, especially in the third act. There's a lot of really dicey action and effect scenes, uh, which is kind of standard in Marvel. They don't really uh, have a lot of art behind them, if you will. <laughs> but... Um, mm. I don't know. The movie bothered me to watch. I just thought it, it, and again, I'm not the person to critique such things, but I thought it was, it, it felt like old Hollywood exoticism in a lot of places where it was just like, look at this magical land of Africa. And then it, it was kind of afraid to make the movie about Africa at some point. It's like, well, it's actually about America. It's like, well, okay, well, what a brave <laughs> and, choice. <laughs> and, how, and how the only way that, uh, uh, like, a solitary, like, totally sufficient, advanced African nation, the only way they can survive is by getting the CIA to step in. <laughs> yeah, that that whole freaking Martin Freeman character was like, oh, boy, I, I don't like this. All of this bothers me at a fundamental level. But I... I don't know. I Again, I feel like I'm not the person to critique this film. That's what I felt when I saw it. And I haven't seen it in a year. So uh, my thoughts are not as sharp as they once were either. So, But I, I don't want to say a ton about Black Panther. I'll just say that I had a lot of fundamental issues with it. Maybe very uncomfortable to watch. And I don't think it's a very good film. Uh, well, I mean, the one thing you should take away from Black Panther is, um, you know, having a, a black superhero is good, but uh, white imperialist intervention is is better. So just always remember that, and you'll it's be fine. True. Well, they're a team, right? I mean, you just team up with the CIA, and then good stuff happens for you and your people. Yeah, yeah, and you know, you team up with the CIA, and you team up with the Avengers, who are like, you know, the CIA with superpowers, and everything good happens. Nothing bad. 
That sounds, that sounds uh, like a heartwarming family adventure. It truly is. It well, truly is. He, I think he gets killed by Thanos, right? That's what comes of CIA intervention. Something like that. Yeah. I don't know. I well, don't I mean, know. spoilers for the, the film that follows. I'm, I'm assuming none <laughs> of that actually counts. I haven't seen any. The last one I watched was Age of Avenger, or what, Avengers 2, I guess. So I'm, I'm waiting Age on, of Avengers. Age of Avengers. <laughs> would it, would, would it matter? What it's called. Would, would it matter if that's what it was called? Age of Ultron. What, you know, I mean, I'm not even that far off, but Age of Avengers, I mean, is that any dumber than having a group of people who, like, actually sat down and said, we'll call ourselves the Avengers. Like, no, this is nonsense. But they don't do a whole lot of avenging either. That's, that's that true, yeah. Like, like the, where they set up to avenge a specific thing. They, <sighs> yeah, but anyhow. I yeah. see Sean's very stimulated by Black Panther discussion. Uh, a true populist uh, in our midst. Uh, yeah. Oh, no. He's he's Mr. Arthouse here. We'll, we'll talk about something that, that's more up, up Sean's alley. And I think he actually liked this film a lot more than uh, Myros and I did. And I, I'm not sure about Jake and Jack, but. Uh, we also have a, a rare, very rare Spike Lee nomination, and for some reason, you know, do the right thing. Now, don't nominate that uh, or anything else Spike Lee's ever done, but hey, Best Picture, Black Klansman, another head-scratcher for me, because uh, that's the movie that reminds us all that, you know, the KKK is bad, but also don't forget that cops are super good. It is a weird film. Boots Riley over here. It's, <laughs> it's it's a weird. I'm not. I like. I really need to watch more Spike Lee. And part of it was I wasn't sure if I'm just not familiar with Spike Lee's energy in his films because I haven't watched a lot of his more recent work. Um, but yeah, Black Landsman is is a strange film. It's got a weird, like. There's some scenes of it I think are really tremendously good, and then other parts of it are very very confusing, strangely conservative status quo propaganda as people have have dismissed it as um yeah i, I don't know it, it's not it, watching it, i was like is this a spike lee film it didn't feel like that to me and so i mean i know before we were joking about how you know scorsese got his his oscar finally for the departed which is definitely one of his least interesting films um like also very, and very messy. messy like he's one of his one of are honestly one of his worst films as much as I, I enjoy the department's an okay film it's like it's clearly not classic scorsese and black Klansman is the film that got him finally a director nomination and a best mm -hmm. film not like it's it's a weird world we're living in this feels very like it feels very shoehorned in because I don't, yeah, well, I don't it, feel like anyone was really like clamoring for black Klansman when it played that people were like this is amazing no, it's it's just it's probably the most accessible thing that he's done in a long time, but it's accessible because it has no teeth at all. And it doesn't feel like a Spike Lee movie in in the least. It, the only time it feels like a Spike Lee movie is the very end, the sort of uh the epilogue. The dolly yeah. shot. Oh. And, <laughs> Which I liked. And yeah, so yeah. you get that dolly shot. And then you get the weird, again, spoilers if you haven't seen it, but also, fuck you, come on, it's an Oscar pod, what do you think you're getting here? There's, there's this whole scene at the end where he cuts in footage of, of, of Charlottesville, and <laughs> Charlottesville. When, he, when he cuts in the footage of Charlottesville, it's, it's, all, it's like YouTube footage that he just took and he, and he threw in at the end to, to basically say, yes, the KKK still exists and white supremacy still exists and it's still bad and it's still a problem. And it's like, yeah, thanks, Spike Lee, for reminding us of a thing that is very obvious and prevalent and 
clearly. Yeah, well, like, I, uh, it's it's like you you took something that was in your movie previously that we could connect with, and then you just like, by the way, I'm gonna just hammer you over the fucking head with this. Well, I mean, he did that. He did that earlier in the film, in probably the worst moment of the movie, in my estimation, where they're like, uh, what what's the? They're like talking the stairwell, and yeah. he's like. Oh, we'll never have somebody like that running the country. Yeah, the, with or, the da- or maybe it was the opposite. The David Duke parallel, where they're like, "Wink, wink, Donald Trump." Yeah, I, that's what the movie felt like as a whole to me. Like that movie, that moment almost summarizes my reaction to the film, where it was just like, "I, I get it. I, 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 think I see what you're doing." Yeah, I, I think there's like I think there's a through line from the conclusion, which includes the YouTube footage to. An earlier scene of the film where they have uh, this fantastic—I think maybe the best scene of the film—where they have the clan rally watching *Birth of a Nation* intercut with um, uh, oh, his name escapes me. Uh, the singer actor uh, talking about his recounting his um, you know recounting the the murder, the lynching of a civil rights leader, um, and it's it's an interesting parallel because *Birth of a Nation*, of course, is a, just a flagrantly racist film that's kind of self-mythologized itself into being a linchpin of western cinema and a lot of the things it's kind of like citizen kane a lot of the things that people attribute to birth of a nation as being the first film to do it really wasn't you know and it not to take away from birth of a nation as being a very well-made feature film at a time and a place it was also even in 1916 when it was released seen as being absolutely outlandishly racist and hateful as a film and I think, you know, there's there's maybe a through line through the film that we do move to YouTube footage at the end, that there's still this dissemination of a, a kind of a mythologizing image-making f- faculty to, to film, you know, and, and these we've moved to YouTube, to digital, to portable cell phones and so on. Um, but there's this kind of questioning of the medium throughout, but I, I'm kind of like, I'm, I was trying to grasp these things and pull them together, but like I say, so much of the film just doesn't seem to fit the mold, and so much of it is just like Adam Driver got an Oscar nomination for doing, frankly, like I just his character to my mind is, is sort of it could be anyone. I don't, like I wasn't enamored with this this portrayal at all, you know. It, and it's, I don't think it's like he failed or anything, but it's just the characters in the film sort of just brusquely tear through their dialogue and like you say every so often it gets a little heavy handed they do their, their you know what if Donald Trump was president kind of thing um, but yeah like I just it's not a film I can I organize it, easily it just it feels like it's diff- it, it feels like it should be going in certain ways and then and it's assembling everything to go in a certain way and then it just kind of like slips back down into a much more straightforward thing I think it's best uh, attributes are in it in it's Ability to be a procedural, um, which is obviously not its political teeth, but um, it's definitely a movie I still enjoyed watching. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I don't think it's any sort of like a great achievement. Yeah, I mean, I, I enjoyed I, it certainly. You know, it's it's see, not. See, I I just struggle so much with the tone. Like it was, it was enjoyable at times. I will not deny that, but it was almost to its detriment for me because it was like. The fucking clan is like driving around in a clown car, and then all of a sudden, I'm supposed to dumb. take them. That's the big yeah. problem. Yeah, I'm supposed to take them as, as a serious threat, and everything is so. And and it's a movie about racism. So uh, when I say that everything is black and white, that's not exactly what I mean by it. But it is. It's very much. <laughs> it, it, it's it's not a subtle film, and it, it's very much like look at these 
uh, racist white guys, they don't have any real motivation. They're just fucking clowns. Yeah, the key there is a, yeah, there, there is a weird, there was an alteration in the early parts of the film because there's, uh, I think some of the best photograph, most interesting sequences are the black activist sections and the dance scene that they have early on where they all go to the nightclub. Yeah, the dancing is And there, there's these fantastic yeah. scenes Incredible. and the speech that he attends at the, the, police officer main character attends, you know, with the activist speaking loudly and unifying his audience. There's wonderful kind of really intense moments. Yeah. And then, yeah, it switches over to the, the white guys and they are just basically a bunch of country beer swilling, hateful clowns. And Which yeah. is fine. I mean, the, the clan is a bunch <laughs> of hateful clowns, but I, I have a problem when all of a sudden you make this turn where you're like, and... They're also the very serious villains of this yes. of this movie, and they must right. they must be reckoned with in today's society. But it's like, but but I've just been watching for ninety minutes. They're, they're fucking clowns. Yeah. Why do I care about these clowns? I, I, I'm not scared yeah. of clowns. And, and all the police hate them, which is a very yeah. confusing element considering no ties mm-hmm. between the Ku Klux Klan and police forces. But no, oh, no, no, never. That dancing <laughs> though is probably. Um, would probably make a short list of of the best scenes of the year for me. Like just one of those things that's immediately uh, emotional um, without having to do any setup, really. Yeah, I, I don't know. I just aside from the clan being complete clowns, I, I it's it's hard for me to to wrestle with some of the in between moments where you know, the, the protagonist and his, and his activist lady friend are kind of talking about the police and, and what role they play in all this. And she consistently makes good points. And he's just like, well, the cops aren't all that bad, which also it's like, oh, they kind of are. But they, they never, it's never interrogated. It's just sort of left as this thing where it's just, you know, it's like, well, you know, agree to disagree and uh, both sides and blah, blah, blah. And it, Spike Lee doesn't, he he doesn't go after the police as a racist institution at all. It's just set up as this binary good bad thing, and it, it sure. couldn't be further from the truth. And it's that is so weird coming from Spike Lee specifically because I know this is a Spike Lee movie. You know, maybe if this was anybody else, that wouldn't stick out as much to me. But I I could not get past that at all. Right. I think I, well, I've got to be honest with myself and say that I I just a lot of his tricks. They just great on me. Like his style does not work for me personally, and that's totally just a taste thing. Like a lot of this, the bag of tricks he pulls out, which he uses very often, they just don't work for me. And and this movie, a lot of it did not work for me at all. But uh, I don't think it's like worthless on this list. Boy, it, it looks pretty damn good. <laughs> Speaking yeah. of the list, oh boy, uh, you know. Okay, so we've we've got these. All these films that we talked about, too, that are just like super populist. But then, of course, you have to have your your Oscar bait. That's important. The movie that, that you know, you're going to completely forget about in two years. But it's it's got to make this list. Uh, I always go back to the, the ultimate Oscar bait film for me is The Reader. Do you remember The Reader? Does anyone remember The Reader? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, it's great. Uh, you know, German guilt. We need, we need more. <laughs> <laughs> Not enough of that stuff. Come on. Uh, well, yeah. This this year we've got we've got Green Book, baby, and it is probably the least <laughs> interesting film on race that I've ever seen. And on top of that, I I can't see it really holding a place in like cinematic history other than maybe you'll watch it in like a high school history class when your teacher's out sick 
Although we've already got hidden figures for that. So where does Rainbow really slot in? Really, I was really fucking disappointed that the third act Kevin Costner didn't just show up and tear a sign down out the bathroom. <laughs> He like tears the green book apart. They're like, uh, actually, um, that's a, it's not what you think it is, that, Kevin. We don't need I a green watching... book anymore. It should be an everything book. Watching, watching that this was movie, basically was like, Peter Farley's fuck. speech for the Golden Globe. I was just, I was just like, well, they've done it again, guys. Uh, I know they solved racism two years ago, but we've done it again. We fucking cracked the case once again. Racism's over. I believe. I believe somebody um, encapsulated his Peter Farley's speech on the Golden Globes as, uh, ha- have you guys tried not being racist? <laughs> <laughs> that, I, I love that he's the director of this, too, because it's fucking awesome that, you know, the guy who gave us shallow Hal is now, uh, <laughs> he's, he's nominated for Best Picture and he's uh, leading the charge on, on stopping racism. So thank God, you know. <sighs> It's the, but, but it's really just a dull movie. Like I was, this was a real second screen experience for me. Yeah, it's it, it is terminally boring. It's super predictable. You know where everything's going because if you've, I mean, God, if you've ever seen any just generic movie on racism with zero teeth at all, and I'm talking when I say zero teeth, I know I just said Black Klansman doesn't have any teeth. Holy shit, Black Klansman is a fucking rabid wolf compared to Green Book. <laughs> the the only thing that amused me is it is a, it is a movie ostensibly about, you know, racism is bad, but Vigo's performance as an Italian American <laughs> is the most like comic like racial stereotype. Like you might as well have fucking like Super Mario on the screen. Like it's just like, "Oh, holy spaghetti." Uh, What's the going on? <laughs> Uh, my favorite part is when he folds a pizza in half. <laughs> jams He's just it down laying his in bed and he folds a pizza in half. <laughs> An entire large pizza. I honestly, I honestly don't like... Uh, well, I think Vigo's just straight bad. Like, he's on the bad spectrum. I think uh, Ali, an actor that I think is lovely and great, uh, I think his performance is like... Average. It's like mediocre. Am I wrong? Am I crazy? Now, well, what it's, are you going to do with this material? Yeah, you can't, you can't do anything. Well, yeah, I, I think, yeah. He's the best guy for that material, but the material is trash. Like, he deserves a Best Actor nomination simply because the script is so bad, the movie's so boring, it's directed in, like, the most fucking generic, like, just uninteresting way humanly possible. And the fact that he isn't the worst is, is okay, I guess. Yeah, give, give a pat on the back for that one. Yeah, there's like a moment at the, it's like the last two minutes of the movie where it, uh, Mahershala Ali and uh, Linda Cardellini just like hug and they have this like vibrant look in their face. And it, it, that's like the best moment of the movie just because those two actors are, are magnetic. I'm guessing, <laughs> yeah. I'm guessing he's going to get the Oscar for supporting actor, which like, again, like I'm okay with that because I'd rather see him talk than Adam driver. <laughs> what about Sam Rockwell? <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, no, he doesn't have enough screen time or anything, but that would be fucking terrible. Cause <laughs> Sam Rockwell. It's not my guy. He didn't get nominated. Yes, he did. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> I mean, if it's Sam Elliott, that's Mahershala, fine, Adam but, uh, driver, Sam Elliott, Richard E. Grant and Sam Rockwell. That is insane. And Grant is not going to get it, but that would be cool. But uh, yeah, like, that's one of those things where he's like, yeah, I'll watch. Uh, who? I, I was just saying, Richard E. Grant's like, uh, Oscar campaign is one of the most delightful things I've seen online lately. But uh, Sure. Sorry, go ahead. Sure. 
Um, but yeah, I, that's one of those things where I was like, yeah, I'll watch uh, Ali speak uh, on a huge broadcast on stage. Like, that'll be a good time. Um, but yeah, I don't really care much about his performance. There's, there's not, there's nothing to say about Green Book. Yeah, I mean, I, I, just, I just want to say, like, fuck you, Peter Farrelly, because this movie is, like, embarrassingly edited. I mean, I think it's, it's, it's worth, it's it's worth like, pointing out, oh. it's like the Spike Lee thing that, that the last time Spike Lee was, had a Draft picture of her nomination was he was uh, he lost to Driving Miss Daisy and it's like it's happening again. <laughs> that literally, um, a, I thought you were gonna a Driving Miss Daisy type thing like, is coming up like twenty years later, thirty nearly years later. I, I thought you were gonna say it's like Spike Lee because uh, he should have been he should have gotten it for uh, me, myself, and Irene, mm. and is just now being recognized. I mean, everything yeah. I hear about Green Book, and I, I'll, full disclosure, I didn't watch it. I'm never going to watch it. I think that's pretty <laughs> safe. To, better that way. Yeah, yeah, I feel it's <laughs> safe to skip out on. But honestly, it sounds, everything I hear about Green Book, it sounds like it would be better if it was a Peter and Bobby Farrelly ridiculous comedy. Mm-hmm. Like, and me, myself, and Irene had racial commentary in it. You know, sure. so maybe, maybe do that if you want to. Uh, okay, no. well, I gotta say, though, (laughs) the balls that Peter Farrelly has where he's just like, okay, so we're going to make this movie about racism, but, and this is him like elevator pitch, hear me out, we're going to sideline all the stuff about black people so we can focus on the life and times of Chef Boyardee. And they're like, yeah, let's fucking do this. So you know what? (laughs) Vigo for best actor. I want him to go up there. I want him to get his fucking Oscar. And I want him to accept the Oscar in character. Just, oh, yeah, it's great. Oh, I love it. It's the baguette. Come on, let's put some gravy on this. Let's do it. Come on. Like, just, that's what I, that's what I need. That's what I need. This is like, there's like three separate moments I would highlight in this movie. One is where their car breaks down, which is like the driving incident in the movie that their car breaks down like 75 times. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that's what happens in this movie. Just like Your race car relations. Breaks down, you stop. Race things happen. It, and there's there's just a bunch of uh, African Americans working in a field, like dressed like straight up off the plantation, <laughs> yeah. even though this is like the 1960s. Uh, and their car breaks out, and they just all immediately stop what they're doing and stare directly at Mahershal Ali. And I'm like, who would put this in a fucking movie? That's not the way to handle this material. And yeah, I, I there's just so many little things in this movie that are like. This is not a real director who made this fucking thing. Like the big climax where uh, Mahershal Ali's playing like a little Richard song and at the bar. And it, he just keeps cutting to Vigo doing like ridiculous comedy reactions. He's just like, oh, oh, I'm like, God damn it. This is this is not a real movie. This is a fucking piece of shit. It's just the most middle brow thing you'll ever see in your fucking life. Yeah. That's that's about right. Well, you know, mm-hmm. uh, maybe I'll take Middlebrow, Myros, because... Oh, wait, wait, wait. What about when they drive north? I, I know you told me not to say wait, wait, wait when you're trying to transition, but this is important. <laughs> They're pulled... They get uh, they get pulled over and profiled in the south and thrown in, in jail. And then at the end of the movie, to signify that they've exited the bad racist land and entered the very progressive, safe... Uh, racism-free North, they are pulled over by a cop who helps them change their tire. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah. Officer Good Cop, man. That This is another thing. All these movies, they fucking love cops. This is... 
<laughs> and this scene, Teasers this is, out there doing their jobs, keeping you safe. This is the most egregious <laughs> shit ever. It's just like it's like they were doing some like some like focus testing, some audience test shit, and they just like took it to like some police precinct, and they're like, yeah, but like, what if there are some good cops in this one? And then Fairly was just like, yeah, we need a good cop. <laughs> Both cop sides, man. Oh my god. Ugh. Why'd you have to remind me of that? Jesus Christ. <laughs> All right. So if you love cops and you're into middle brow shit, you know, uh, maybe Green Book's for you. But there, there's, there's some things on this list that are even more egregious than like bad takes on racism and movies directed by child molesters and generic Marvel shit. How in God's name did Vice get nominated? For best picture, how? And, how is this and best director? And best director. When I would, I would firmly put it in the category of worst film and worst director that I've seen. Nobody liked this shit. Okay, it's got really tepid critical reviews. I don't think it made any fucking money, and it is aggressively horrible. Thank you. It is. It, it is like a shotgun blast of of just like. Uh, manic energy that's completely misplaced and weird and bad. 90% of the movie is just montage sequences and Christian Bale doing a Batman impersonation as Dick Cheney. What, what the fuck is Vice? Someone someone just figure this out for me. Explain it to Vice me. Is, Vice is a confusing film because, I mean, it's coming from Adam McKay who came off the high of the big short that made him a legitimate artist, I guess. And I, I actually, I did kind of enjoy the big short because um, it works as a sort of a funny, entertaining breakdown of a very specific process of specific events and specific decisions that can be broken down into a timeline, which is what the big short did. The problem with Vice is that it's a biopic. It's about a man. And it seems to firstly cherry pick a couple of points it wants to make about Dick Cheney, like the whatever unitary executive theory and so on, to ba basically to chart the, the unchecked rise of power of the executive branch of the United States government. The president is getting more and more power, and that's bad uh, in the wake of 9-11. So it's kind of got like a few things he wants to say about Dick Cheney, but then it's also sort of like shrugs all the time and goes like, what was Dick Cheney thinking here? We don't know. Who can really know what a man thinks? And then it just keeps going. And it's, this, I, this is a biopic. I thought that was your whole point. And it just has these sequences <laughs> where it says Dick Cheney was great at doing this. And they say it. Like, they have a voiceover. They have a horrible character in the film who delivers a voiceover and later gets roped into the events of the film in a pointless kind of stylistic gesture. <laughs> but um, like, like he, he specifically says, you know, like, Dick Cheney was great at this, and they just say it. They don't show him being great at anything. They don't say why. It's it's just an absolutely... just. It's literally just a collection of, like, in true montage like, theory, love it's a collection of things that don't join together to form a cohesive portrait of anything. But don't you love that whimsical Shakespeare thing? Oh, God, what is that scene? Oh, I'd forgotten. I'd already blocked that out of my memory, and I watched it like two days ago. So, wow. Okay, Impressive. For, so for, for people who haven't seen Vice, and by the way, we're going to spoil the hell out of Vice because don't see it. There's no reason to see it. But there's this whole scene where, like, Dick Cheney and his wife are in bed, like, quoting Macbeth to each other. Is Jesus that Christ. <laughs> it, yeah, yeah. Amy Adams in her wig. I mean, yeah, and it's supposed to be like, isn't this funny when people talk Shakespearean language? Wouldn't that be 
fucking hilarious. Uh, it, it's it's I don't even like hate this movie. I think it's bad, but I I just watched it and kind of glazed over, and then it ended. Um, but my my big issue is that like which is kind of what Jack is talking about is that it doesn't it 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 talks about. Dick Cheney being so complex without telling us any reason why he was so complex or what made him complex. Like, what are his motivations? Besides his wife yelled at him. Po- power? <laughs> yeah, it's it's I, a yeah, poorly yeah, researched it has book this, like, very <laughs> Yeah, yeah. It has this one moment, kind of the Hacksaw Ridgian uh, effect, where Ooh. it's just like this defining it's a moment. a new word. And, uh, <laughs> Hacksaw Ridgian. <laughs> And uh, it's just like, what it, What are his motivations to do this? Because if it's power, we haven't gotten this, like, Schmeagol, like, moment or anything. Like, if it's fame... Yeah, it's like, like, it's literally that, his wife, like, he gets drunk, this, his wife shouts at him, and then he's an intern in D.C. That That's it. And, like, and he got and we don't drunk know, in, like, Wyoming. We don't know if that's... Yeah, we don't, we don't know if that's, like, a good payoff for him or if it's a mediocre life that he had. Like, there's... Oh, his wife... Or his his daughter is queer, like... And that makes his life complex, but it doesn't tell... And he's, like, accepting of it. And that's, like, the closest thing that there is to any sort of complexity. But even that, it's very, very slow. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't understand his motivations. And I don't even understand his, his career trajectory. Like, if... Every time that I got drunk and someone yelled at me, I got a I got a sweet job in in DC. I would be fucking president right now. I don't understand <laughs> how this works. Like what? I yeah. I have a great resume of getting drunk and being yelled at by people. So why where where's mine? You just you uh, don't, it's a different it was a different time. Steve. Not enough Batman voice, Steve. You got to gain a lot of weight and grumble. Uh, that's that's I, it. I'm I'm willing to commit. I'm willing to commit. I, I just like got just watching this whole thing and not it's not a compelling story and, and the directing is the direction is really really poor here it's just it's all over the fucking place and I just I can't for the life of me figure out what I'm supposed to to grasp onto and I guess the through line is like you guys mentioned this is just kind of like using Dick Cheney as a vessel to chart the the rise of unchecked executive power. But it, 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 the way that it tells its story, it's, it's so fucking all over the place. It reminds me of, of the meme picture of, of Charlie from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia when he's in the mail room and he's smoking and he's got all the red lines <laughs> everywhere. And he's like, okay, so Dick Cheney's here and this is how we get to Trump and we got to do this and that and this and this. And it's like, man, you're not, you're not doing anything. Fuck it, you. Has, it has that effect because, yeah, it's, let me say, this is the, the kind of vision of Dick Cheney as, and I think you're right, it's a step off to look at a larger problem of, like, rebranding global warming as climate change, uh, profiting, using war as declaring war for corporate gain, and so on. But Dick Cheney's not, even within this film, Dick Cheney isn't posited in any kind of convincing fashion as a singular person who was responsible for these things. He just sat near places where these decisions were made. Like there, there, it's, mm-hmm. there's no convincing kind of narrative of him being a central figure to what the film ends up talking about. So it's oh, yeah. an absolutely baffling film. It, it just makes no sense. And, uh, I think that the, the Adam McKay, pro- the large problem, at least for me is the Adam McKay project like it's it, it only works to the extent of 
a mass didacticism, which is, yeah. you know, limited at best. And it works yeah. better, like you say, with the big short, because the big short was a series of specific events that are complicated, yeah, complicated things, but yeah. things that specifically were planned and engineered. Like, it, it breaks down into specific events. Whereas Dick Cheney's life doesn't, and the slow roll of executive power and rebranding of certain things, this, like, shift in the public conscience, does not break down into these events. And Adam McKay is clearly incapable of building the narrative without these kind of hammer-to-the-head things like his focus group things where it's sort of like, and we had a focus group and we made everyone realize that we should call it climate change to make it sound okay. And so it's just an utterly unconvincing version. It doesn't seem like even McKay is convinced of his own account of events on top of everything else in the film being deeply annoying. So mm-hmm. a big swing and a miss here. Yeah, and, and you know I, what? I just take... I take grand issue with its tact. Like, what is the purpose of this movie? Like, and like well, said, it, reveal, it reveals it in that in unfair uh, play to this film. It saves its absolute worst scene for last. They stick it in the <laughs> middle of the credits. They have a whole so, scene about liberal bias, and I think this is the film. It is liberal bias. The film, right? And, and you know the the focus group has a point because <laughs> the guy in his Redskins jersey says like. You know, I think this movie was made by libtards. And you know what? This movie was indeed made by libtards of the highest order because its political ethos is so fucking wrongheaded. How does a person like Cheney get into power? How does all of this happen? Because... The left has done such a piss poor job of, of representing themselves. <laughs> and, and this movie exemplifies no, no, that at no. every turn where it's just like, hey, um, Adam, why do you hate hey, women? Everyone, every, everyone who's watching this movie, you're all fucking morons. You're all idiots. You're all rubes. Just fucking what? What kind of tact is that? Again, this movie. And I think it disgusts me. I, I think to that, to, to that, like. I think that people who already know a lot of this stuff like it because it's like watching the Daily Show for them, mm-hmm. where it's like, yeah, I know this stuff. There's a smog in us to us. Like, it's absolutely yeah. such a smog, yeah. shit-eating grin of a film, and it's so bad at what it's doing, like, through and through. And it has no yeah. idea that it's bad about it, and it's now getting nominated for top awards. This is like, this is literally is like uh, White Privilege, the movie, just unfolding yeah. before our eyes. It's utter dreck. That somehow has been elevated because it knows the right people, like Dick mm-hmm. Cheney. Jake, did did you watch? This I watched joke? the first half hour of Vice, and I just couldn't. It was unendurable <laughs> for me because you, 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 right you, you should have yeah. stayed until they actually roll fake end credits in the middle of the film. And if I were at the premiere of the film, I absolutely would have loudly walked out at that point <laughs> because it fucking sucks. Yeah, yeah, I just I don't get this movie. Like, if you make a movie like this. You should make a movie that if a, a naive Republican watched it, they would go, oh, boy, I can see the error of my ways. But if you're a Republican and you watch this, you'd be like, hey, fuck you. What the fuck is this fucking thing? Again, it's just you're just kicking guys in the balls left and right. What's the fucking point? It, you're not winning anyone's hearts and minds with this shit. You're you're alienating everyone who doesn't agree with you 100 percent. It's just so wrongheaded. I hate it. Yeah. I hate this fucking movie. Well, this movie uh, you is, know, is bad, cancerous, bad shit. It's it's just amazing to me that, like, the only consistent thing I was thinking as I was watching this, well, I mean, one, I fucking hate this, and two, like, I can't believe how smug Adam McKay is. But then you, you get to the end, and 
there's this scene at the end that, you know, we, we kind of alluded to here where Dick Cheney literally turns to the audience, breaks the fourth wall, and goes, hey, why are you judging me? I'm Batman. I was just trying to protect my family. And he does this whole monologue, just breaking the fourth wall. And it's it's insane to me. It's just, if, if you thought the scene in funny games where they break the fourth wall to sort of like, you know, go after the audience for being attracted to, to mindless violence, you think that was smug? Holy shit. This is fucking double that. Uh, I Yeah, Vice is, in recent memory, one of, if not the worst things to be nominated for Best Picture for me. I mean, it's, it's, it's up there. This is, a, this is an all-timer, for sure. Uh, but, you know, outside of, of this populist fair and these weird things that have sort of snuck in, despite <laughs> not being really liked that much by anyone, you do have your standard art house fair. And I, I want to start with a movie that I think most of us were pretty lukewarm on, but didn't have strong feelings about, except for Jack Eason, who, um, I don't know, he may strip off all his clothes and run naked through the streets screaming about how much he hates it. But, uh, you know, Jake, why don't you start off and, and tell us a little bit about Roma? <laughs> I feel unseen right now. <laughs> this is, this uh, well. is why This is why Jack couldn't drink for this episode, specifically because of Roma. So Roma is the latest uh, straight-to-Netflix film from uh, from noted auteur Alfonso Cuaron. Uh, it's a period piece that depicts um, uh, essentially its memories of his childhood surrounding the life of his maid, played by Yalitza Paricio, um, and how through her hard, diligent work and uh, tasked with keeping the family together, is mostly successful, even though she's dealing with her own personal problems, um, such as uh, an unwanted pregnancy and a boyfriend who leaves her. And uh, I, I don't really have much to say about Roma, to be honest. Um, I'm not. I've kind of cooled on it. I thought I was. I guess I was in the notch to the right of positive when I watched it, but it's really kind of lost a lot of the uh, the luster for me. I guess you could say um, it's a nicely shot film but I really don't have much more to add to it. Um, I know Jack wants to tear at it, but uh, Sean, do you have anything you want to add to Roma? Um, no, I have a very, sim- I had a very similar trajectory as you where I was, I was like, okay. And I was, I was sort of like finding myself really trying, like making an effort to find something to appreciate. And uh, there's like a moment or two in there that I remember, but I think its biggest achievement is its ability to um, create a virtual space outside the frame. And that's, that's a nice achievement, but um, I don't think it has anything to add emotionally because it's, it's main character. It's protagonist is so vacuous um, and void of, of any, personality or anything worth considering really she's just sort of a cipher there for for Quara. yeah it's weird she's getting a lot of plaudits too but i feel like she has no real uh character or personality even in the film she's just a she's just a, a blank slate that uh Coron happily mm-hmm. abuses from time to time and i think Coron. Uh, the film also suffers from being way too overlong. Like he just, he he'll set up a very nice scene, yeah. but then he just keeps adding on to it. Like, I think 
is spoiler alert, but who cares? I think the film, it, I would have liked it a bit more if it ended like a cut to black on the shot of them driving away in the car at the end after the beach. But then he just adds on like four more scenes and it's like, come on, man, just, we get it. Do you though? Do you no. get it? Because Jack, we're all worked very hard at this film. Jack, tell me how Roma made you feel. Okay, so Roma infuriates me. I think it's an absolutely <laughs> despicable piece of shit film. It is beautifully made. It looks beautiful. <laughs> full full credit. Quran has left Lubezki behind, and he did the cinematography and camera stuff for this himself. I think Quaron has, after many films, the makings of being a decent director of photography. So um, I, I think right. that's as fond as I could say from my my main issue with Roma. Honestly, is that I just think that it is it's a completely wrong headed film in what it's trying to do, which is basically re-examine elements of Coron's own early life. But it's also it's this horrible bourgeois apologia. It's it reminds me a lot of The Help is the film that it reminds me a lot of, which also got nominated for Best Picture, which I'd forgotten and which angered me all over again to, so, so to it, remember. It pairs- it pairs well with Green Book, is what you're saying. It's, it probably does. Um, and it's, it's a film that basically is... It's, Quaron basically wants to elevate his childhood nanny, who is an indigenous person of Mexico, who the film alludes to various situations that these people face in terms of cultural and, cultural and, and uh, kind of geographic uh, elimination that they've been... It's, uh, you know, the Spanish culture that was imported into the country has completely consumed everything and pushed them out. And um, but he he basically then tries to ally that with like his middle class family, their dad left and it made them sad and his mom was sad and they got a divorce and he had to go to the cinema a lot as a sick kid and he didn't know things were so wrong. Mm. But you know, there was a lot happening there and it's very sad. And it's literally these things are not like each other. It's like the help, which is basically like women under patriarchy, it's rough for them, and that really means they have a kinship with black people living under Jim Crow. And it's like, no, not at all. Those are not similar in the slightest. That is a deeply insulting thing to even suggest. Roma does the same thing. There's this this suggestion that you know that the the quandaries of the family are somewhat overlaid with the quandaries of this maid trying to trying to find her own identity and. And it's just, it, Coron has these ideas, like, he, you can tell, it was funny, I watched the film and I thought, I bet he shot this in his childhood home. Like, I bet he did that, and I bet he thinks that makes it more valid as an artistic statement. And I don't think it was shot in his childhood home, but he did contact all his family, and they got all of their old furniture together to put in the place they did shoot it in. And that ex- symbolizes the film to be exactly that it's literally Coron has this idea that if he can gather all of the real furniture he grew up with and put it on set and then have all these people yeah and then have all these people indulge him in recreating memories from his childhood and a lot of these scenes are his recollections of things that happened during his childhood then yes it'll be real it's an authentic rendering of the past and he's you know working through his own ideas through that and it's not it's it's and as jake says uh, the the major issue with this is like all of that would be fine if it got one thing right and it doesn't as jake mentions is that the main character the nanny is she's a blank slate and it's not like a bresson blank slate where we know their actions determine things and we we can kind of gain this insight into people trapped or people if certain mode of living Quran just doesn't understand her. He has no idea what to say about her because he literally because he's just trying to basically 
bring himself in to say, well, we all had it tough. You know, like, we were a little bit like her. You know, I know she had it worse, but, I mean, there's a kinship. And there is no kinship. And this film only cements the lack of kinship and that he's too foolish to even realize this lack of kinship or the extent of the disconnect and the abuse from, not normally from this capitalist system that created and, you know, created this social tiering, um, that he just, he, he can't even fathom it. And the, 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 the main actress, I, she, she doesn't do anything wrong. And honestly, if she won the best actress award, I think that would be a good thing for visibility for indigenous peoples in Mexico. You know, so, I mean, there would be at least a positive there, but she's really just a blank slate and Peron has no, there's no insight. She is, honestly treated with all the same kind of ver- like kind of verisimilitude as the family dog there's an honestly there's a kinship there to being the family dog but i don't know if know that quran really understands it it's just uh, to my mind it's a deeply deeply insulting film that also has several like it's a very beautifully made film it looks great but it just it it, it kind of has this meandering kind of quality of of like, kind of equality in quotes um that it's just a terrible film of of kind of misguided misjudgments, complete indulgence. Is Quran absolutely indulging everything to himself? It's com- just pure masturbatory cinema to make him feel better. So did you? So uh, were you positive or negative on it? <laughs> little, little, little to the left of positive, I believe. <laughs> um, but so and so, I take it, Myros and Steve, you guys didn't see this, or did you? I did not. No, I I didn't watch it, but I, I will share an anecdote uh, <laughs> related to it. So I I haven't seen it yet, but uh, my fiance's uncle went and saw it, and this is like a he's like a seventy year old man, and he told me uh, this is over Christmas. He was just like, yeah, you know, I I went to the movies for the the first time in a in a really long time, like years and years. I was just like, oh, what did you see? He's like, ah, oh, it was horrible. It was this black and white movie, and nobody spoke English, and it was just so slow, and it was just the worst. I'm like, you went to see Roma? He's like, yeah, I just, I, I don't, I don't want to see a movie again for a long time. <laughs> and that was his reaction. To it. I think that's a fair, that's a fair summation. Roma, the film that will make you hate film. <laughs> I really am. Well, first, I was kind of surprised you haven't watched it because you were such a big gravity. This guy. seems but, like um, anti gravity uh, to it, me. <laughs> <laughs> it will lift to no one up. It's weird because uh, it's a, it's a, it's a. I I think you can reasonably call it a piece of slow cinema, and it's something that you know I talked about this on when we talked about Netflix that Netflix has like put a ton of money into, and people like it, but I don't get why they like it. It seems like an anomaly to me. I don't know if it has like some sort of imbued importance to it. I think or I I think that there is an imbued importance to it, and and I don't know if people are sort of thinking that this is the type of thing that if, and maybe this is just an incredibly bad faith reading on my part that um that a lot of voters think that this is what is good art house cinema is you know that's what it's supposed to look like but like i feel like um without the auteur plaudits and the netflix marketing this is a type of movie that so many people would be quick to dismiss just in tone uh and and um 
not tone, but uh, in pacing alone and sort of like this black and white. I, I think so many people would lo- would easily call this like this hoity-toity piece of art mm-hmm. house cinema, but because it has this legitimacy to it. Um, it's so indulgent. I, like, I mean, yeah. there's like a wonderful, beautifully shot scene of a fire being set because there's a land war going on in Mexico that they, they allude to. And, and Cuaron is very careful to allude to the things in many cases, without seriously grappling with them, because then he'd probably actually have to discuss what his family is actually a part of. Um, but it's, they have to run out and put out these fires, and one man just starts singing, and it's this one long take. It's all, like, the whole film is a series of very long technical... Like, it's it's one of these films, that, and it sums in very much what Quaron does, and it's one of the reasons why the best I could say about some of his films is they're okay. Um, he is someone who genuinely believes that artistic expression is achieved through technical difficulty. And if something is difficult just, to, like, if they're logistically complex, then it's worth filming. Uh-huh. And Roma has that element yeah, to it. And this, they, they all run out to, to, to put out the fire. And this one guy just starts walking and singing as he walks. And the camera starts to follow him. It picks him out from the crowd and follows him as he comes up close to the camera and sings. And it's just such a self-consciously, like, artistic uh-huh. moment. And it, uh, it's interesting because I've seen maybe not general you know, maybe not general punters, but um, like film fans who really like this film who are comparing it to like the works of like Hu Shen, which, you know, feeds into like the slow cinema. And it's like, this is nothing like a whole film. Like he would never make a film like I this just, yeah. ever. The political readings make love, no sense. Love... Right. I would love if people watched Kylie Blues, like the people who really love Roma, if they would give a movie like Kylie Blues or Three Times or Millennium Mambo like a shot um and and be and just just give it a shot that's all because those movies deserve a shot and some of them especially something like kylie blues you know i think that this would be an interesting side-by-side viewing or pairing um at least for me uh in reason like why one works and one doesn't work so well for me but yeah i don't know it's it's discouraging it's like well i i mean like if netflix was putting a ton of money into long day's journey into night I wonder what that would look like. <laughs> it's it's question, yeah. I mean, I just say like the technical elements of Kylie Blues. The the really there's a really long single take in that film. It's a really incredible scene, but it fits in with the narrative. There's a reason why that take exists and is done like that to form this kind of uh, kind of sub entity within the film. There's no real reason for Kurhan's film to unfold other than I think technical audacity. It's to wow. It's it's like a shock and awe film. And just kind of like Gravity, except the Gravity was kind of like, it was a big movie, so it kind of made yeah. sense. You know, well, but it's yeah, the same, gravity, similar idea. Gravity works in that way because it, it is spectacle. Like, I mean, yeah. that's, that's, that, Gravity mm-hmm. is the reason why, right. like, IMAX theaters exist. Like, you, yes. they exist so you can see this, this insane spectacle. But the, the kind of movie that Roma is, I, I don't know if that necessarily fits it. But, uh, well, I, I mean... I'll- Oh, and I'll just ahead, add. I I'll just add. I saw it on like I saw it on a big screen. I didn't watch it on Netflix. I saw it on a big screen. It's seventy millimeters. So important. Ooh. And I yeah. And I still hated it. So oh. you know. So sorry, Quran. Uh, sorry, hey, buddy. Well, how about Jack? How about we talk about a movie that uh, I think uh, Optimism Vaccine pretty much gave it the seal of approval. And this is. This is a weird one because it's sort of in between the uh, the art house fair and and the more populist Oscar style movies. One because it's a, a like Victorian period piece, and two because it's inexplicably gotten a lot of. A Star is Born wasn't in the Victorian <laughs> era. It, it, it's inexplicably gotten 
a lot of traction. Like it's it's gotten in the last two months. I think it's gotten three re-releases here in Milwaukee. So I can only imagine, like you know, around the country, what kind of numbers it's been doing. But uh, can we talk a little bit about the favorite? I think this might have been Jake's like favorite movie of the year, actually. It's uh, top five for sure. Oh. Um. Okay, yeah, I guess I'll go. It's the latest film from Yorgos Lanthimos, a director who we're all familiar with, and we all like his films to a certain degree. I think uh, The Favorite is his largely most successful crossover film uh, into into the mainstream. Sure, sure. But, well, uh, and, and, you, but, know, you know, Jake, sorry to interrupt you, but I just want to say that I do, I do really connect with this filmmaker because, um, I mean, Dogtooth is actually a retelling of my own childhood, so I'm, I'm, you know, I've, I've always felt a kinship with him. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. Just be sure to pick a bushel of zombies when you get home. <laughs> Those are yellow. Honestly, the, the childhood in dog teeth is better than the childhood in Roma. So <laughs> I, I just as a quick tangent. I heard a funny thing on the Flophouse podcast where they asked, they were reviewing truth or dare and they were wondering what would happen if the kids in uh, the movie dog tooth were got sucked and sucked to the truth or dare game. <laughs> what that would look like. <laughs> Um, anyways, uh, the favorite, uh, depicts <laughs> Queen Anne played by Olivia Colman and her trusted advisor slash lover, uh, played by Rachel Weiss. Um, they take in Emma Stone. She's first, uh, hired as a servant in the, in the grounds. And then soon she starts her own diabolical, uh, scheme to, uh, get into a position of power. And it's essentially her and Rachel Weiss vying for the love and affection and the connection of, uh, Olivia Colman. Um, and just immediately, I was kind of swept off my feet with this movie. I thought that the three leads are all staggeringly brilliant. I think it's beautifully shot. Um, and it's just a, a, this is a film that actually really benefits from seeing with a sold out audience who are privy to Lanthimos's work because everybody sitting in the theater I was in had a, a great time. Um, but yeah, I have nothing but love and admiration for the favorite. Um, it's not my favorite Lanthimos film, pun intended. But um, I do, I do think that a lot of his what he's doing here really works um, for both his regular crowd and for also the you know if you're looking for something a little more avant garde, as they say, uh, for regular audience members. Um, but yeah, I uh, I love the favorite. The only thing I don't really like about it is the uh, the fisheye lenses that he tends to use in some scene transitions. But other than that, it's a, hey it's now, a knockout Jake. for me. Best use of a fisheye lens this side of a 311 music video, okay? <laughs> well, apparently the fisheye lens was a, it's a callback to what we think that was popular. I, I, kinda, I actually kind of like it once I found out why he did it. It's not something I was aware of previously, that it was, it was a popular gimmick in artwork of the time, paintings, that painters were challenging themselves by putting in these convex mirrors in, like, in the background of paintings, and then you have to paint everything in an askew way because it's being reflected in this weird mirror um, and I, I like that because it's a gimmick in the painting and it's kind of a gimmick in the film but it's it, what I like about The Favourite and to tie back to Roma is I feel like Roma or The Favourite's like a nice antidote to Roma in that Roma as I say is like Quran just believes that if he can get enough of his old family's furniture in a house then it's authentic it's you know it's a, it's an authentic honest retelling of the past, whereas the favorite flagrantly you know kind of throws out the not the the notion of authenticity of like a period costume drama you know which is its own genre and uh, it kind of it's specifically the the costumes are somewhat uh, 
um, non-authentic. They use a lot of modern fabrics in it. There's like a dance scene where the dance moves are very, very not authentic. Uh, they just throw around modern day profanity and talk in a very kind of snapshot, kind of screwball comedy almost esque fashion. It's it's a film that it kind of un- undercuts the the notion of historical authenticity. And then still, you know, and then tells the story anyway, which I think is, you know, I think there's a nice disconnect from that because I think there tends to be in a lot of these films this kind of notion that they lean on historical authenticity and they forget to make something that's actually about the people, that they were people, you know. And I I think what really struck me in this film, above all else, and I did like it, I didn't like it as much as Jake. I feel maybe it sags a little towards the end. But what I really think is Olivia Colman as Queen Anne is oh kind of cuts a remarkable figure of just how utterly just hopelessly sad and depressed and just inconsolable a figure she is as the most powerful woman possibly in the world at the time and it's just something you don't really see that often it's never really proper or normally it's tied back to you know like oh she couldn't have children you know women why are women sad in movies because they can't be moms that's the the general tone there's some element of that in this but it it fits the character and the time in a way and it's done with a kind of a, a unsparingness that i think is is very unusual and I think partly aided by the fact that Lanthimos specifically unhinges from notions of, of propriety that tend to bog down these films. They tend to have this notion that everyone's very stiff upper lip and no one talks about anything. So the films in turn don't talk about anything, which is, you know, the great undoing of the costume drama. So yeah, I, I think this film does very well with its material. Yeah, and historical accuracy as far as costumes and dance moves, I mean... All of that, be damned. I don't care. Like, when you say that Roma, that Coron extensively researched and painstakingly tracked down all of his furniture to put in the house, I feel like that's something that Alex Minton would tell me to impress that, had the, to try to tell me that the film is good, saying that, oh, he tracked down all his furniture. Who gives a shit, man? I don't care. <laughs> but yeah, and, and it's, it's a thing that happens with so much of, yeah, you know, I, I like I say, I think it's it's the trap. Like period drama is a genre. Like the Holocaust is a genre, and like the Holocaust should never have become a genre of film. There should yeah. never have been expectations surrounding a film like that. But, you know, the the Queen Anne, Queen Elizabeth, all of those films, they have those expectations around how they're supposed to be, and they're all fake. They're all made up to fit to yeah. cinema. And this, and so I really do appreciate that Lanthimos specifically just kind of goes like, screw that, and just throws it out the window. And next thing we know, there's a guy doing like a weird Cossack dance in the middle, and they're like doing swing dancing in huge ballroom dresses. And, uh, you know, because this isn't real, it's fake. It's a bunch of people in the studio. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, you know, um, definitely the favorite out of, out of the best picture noms I have seen, I think the favorite was certainly the one that I enjoyed the most. It's, it is an actually a very funny film, a legitimately funny film that then yeah. bites, bites in on other points, like as a Queen Anne's is, God, it's just, it's that. Olivia Coleman is on, is, I think, certainly one of the best actresses in working. She's one of those people who's always working. She's one of like the, the six British actors who's in everything. Uh, that Britain produces, but she has done, she was terrific in like Tyrannosaur, the Patty Considine film a couple of years ago. Um, so oh, it's yeah. great. Like, I'm really glad she's getting her due and she is tremendous in this. The, the only thing I will say about this film from an Oscar perspective, it, it's kind of this, this film really highlights the kind of joke of the, the actor supporting actor division because this is a three piece 
Stone, Vice, and, and Coleman really are all holding the same amount of weight in the film, but Coleman is a Best Actress, and the other two got Best Supporting Actress nominations. Yeah. If, if you ask yeah. me, it's a three-way good. tie for Best Lead, but, uh, say well, Aren't you a fan of this, Miles? Uh, yeah, yeah, I am a fan of this. I, I love Lanthimos. It, it's very strange to me that if, of all the sort of indie choices they could have gone with, they, they decided to nominate a Yorgos Lanthimos movie, who, which he's not exactly uh, a populist filmmaker, we'll say that. But um, that's fine and well. I, I feel like this is a category in which a lot of films are very blatantly kind of throwing at the screen. Whoa. It's a mirror on society. This is about today. And and to me, this movie, a uh, period piece uh, about Victorian England, is the most uh, resonant with, with modern society. Like, I, I think it's very easy to see Coleman as a Trump figure. Uh, it, it's kind of this spoiled idiot, uh, you know, shoveling fatty foods down her throat. And it, it's just, I'm, it, there is more pathos drawn here than in something like Vice. Uh, but again, it, it, it's very easy to see the analog there in this sort of rotting Rococo excess to, uh, you know, later capitalism. And it, it's not that different. <laughs> and it, it there, there's an overlap there, certainly. I think I think she's more, as you say, there's more pathos because I think she's presented as, like, the ro- royalty is something that wasn't elected. She's kind of a, she is a monster created by society and she's failed to live up to, she has all the privilege, you know, which normally, would say, like, all these films always focus on people who have huge amounts of privilege. Uh, so she is the queen. She's an incredibly powerful woman. She can do whatever she likes, but she's so deeply unhappy despite that and it is interesting that she was she's created and everyone around her uh supports her destructiveness because they want her to because if they can just make her happy she'll give them things because it's the only thing she can do and it's so it's sort of like it's it's she's sympathetic in the way that she's kind of like um but, but, like there's no she she feels like there's nothing she can do there's no escape she's in this very toxic kind of a society ironically despite being the most privileged person in the society uh, so I mean slightly different to say to like Trump who is granted grew up very privileged as well but was that yeah, yes Mr. Mr. Trump yes your president Sean <laughs> who you know who who, who, who came out and, and was uh you know it's kind of like more of a, a self-made monster i guess rather than a societally created monster you can argue extents of that but i think it's there's a difference between the the monarchy versus our free market late capitalist society but definitely i think maybe <laughs> underpinnings just different timelines on the same thing Mm. Yeah, less and less of a difference between the monarchy and our current leaders. But uh, <laughs> well, here, you know. here's here's a question for all you guys. Uh, why is everything that's nominated for best director or best picture a, a period piece? Because that seems to be a, a pretty common theme here. And yeah, there's not one present day. Uh, well, I, I guess Black Panther. I guess yeah. Partially, oh, it's, yeah. it's split. Yeah. Well, well, I mean, Steve, how do you, how do you condemn racism in a contemporary film when racism has already been soundly defeated? You have to oh, go yeah. back we, to we, the sixties when racism was still we, a problem. <laughs> <laughs> well, now we, uh, and we beat that one. So th- this is actually the next movie we're going to talk about. It's the uh, it's the sequel to Death of Stalin, Cold War. Which I I didn't see, but I think you guys saw. <laughs> <laughs> wait, 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 wait. 
What, I, I, what is this erasure that's going on with the best movie up for I'm best picture? I'm saving it for last, you giant fucking baby. Oh, did did, you, not, did you not hear my whole spiel in the beginning? Oh, my God. So, let's... let's you no, think I listen the man to doesn't you listen. All Sean does is complain. Oh, we're not talking enough about Taiwanese new wave. Why? <laughs> uh. I legitimately, I, I really do. The more after I said that, the more I was thinking about what the, like, there is a huge difference with like um, all of, I mean, how the awards is set up is, is very much conducted by marketing campaigns that's not new to anybody but like it really does uh have a huge effect on how people uh whether they're voters or not view these things if they have been accepted by um the general critical cognoscenti then it feels like something that's not pretentious to like and that they can really dig into um and then something like Taiwanese new wave is like well these are for the the smug idiots well, I, <laughs> you know, I don't like, I don't understand I, I, don't I, I mean I can see how Lathamos's film fits into this I can see how Roma fits into this I don't understand how Cold War fits into this category People or the Academy loves Pavel Pavlikowski I'm not exactly sure why Yeah I, I don't get that either I, mean, <laughs> I I don't mean that as a dig I don't mean that as a dig I I because Ida isn't exactly like a crowd pleasing favorite um but people do people loved people loved uh ida and it seems like people like cold war quite a bit um little less so but maybe it has something to do with the aesthetic that he brings this academy ratio black and white historical thing yeah i think i think there are films that feel important but that are also very digestible and i think he's hit on a really Mm -hmm. good mix with that um and I will say, like, I think I think I'm the person here who really liked Cold War, and it's not up for best picture; it's up for best director, which is an unusual division. Normally, you get both if it's worth it, but Pawlikowski managed to get a best director nomination. Um, but yeah, it's like it's 85 minutes long. It's very, I guess, austere, but it also it, it's a strange film, and it's because it, it's like it has this kind of slow presentation like it feels like it should be a portentous slow film but it isn't at all there's like it it's 85 minutes long it cuts so quick through everything and yet it, it's it doesn't feel rushed at all but but it's it's it i i already uh, likened it at one point to like pink flag the wire album you know which is like every song it's like you know why have a, you know why repeat the chorus you know move on to the next song like we did what we did let's go and it's there's almost that same sense of just absolute pragmatism to this film like nothing is repeated nothing is dwelt on unless it's immediately transferring meaning at that point if it is if, if it's done he's just gone and it tracks through two lovers basically in poland and communist poland post-war um, one of them defects to the West. He tries to get the other one to come with him. Uh, she won't. She doesn't originally. Then she does. Then they they miss Poland. They think about coming back. Um, I think it's a tremendously good film. Honestly, I think it actually may be my favorite of all of the films we've discussed here today. Um, but yeah, it, it's 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 an interesting nomination. And yeah, Pawlikowski is is and he ties in twice here because he also apparently inspired uh, Paul Schrader to make First Reformed which is netted Schrader, his first Oscar nomination as a writer. So Pawlikowski weighs heavily on this uh, Oscars for some reason. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know why. but uh, For some reason, the Academy didn't recognize Adam Resurrected. 
some <laughs> some reason they didn't give taxi driver a nominee. Like who remembers that one, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's toxic max- masculinity just at work, right there. Yes, indeed. But yeah, I suppose what what I would say about Cold War, I've seen a lot of people who dislike it, and I really strongly disagree with them because they seem to think that it's a love story and that it's specifically a romance. Um, and I don't think it is that. I think it's a film about cultural identity being weighed on by political machinations. And really, it's a film about it starts off in rural Poland and it's about and kind of music is the format that they're using to explore cultural identity. And it's this strain. They start off with rural folk music and folk dancing in Poland. And as the communist regime weighs in more heavily, one of the people defects to the West and ends up in Paris where they become ingratiated to jazz and rock and roll specifically, specifically your two modernist American Western musical formats. And there's this weight between them that they can never get together. And part, it's not a negotiation of, you know, do they love each other or not? It's a negotiation of who are they? Are they, and, and it's this kind of trying to traverse the, the weight of identity of being Polish and everything that that would mean on top of being communist and everything that brings with it, the communist regime being ruled from Russia, and then versus moving out to the West and the Western influences, modernity, um, capitalist influences. And it's basically trying to navigate that. And it's a film basically about how these things are fundamentally, like there, there's no happy median. It's, it's things suffer throughout. And I think it's a really beautiful elucidation of kind of cultural loss and trying to, you know, trying to form yourself amidst political insurmountable political obstacles and that you know that to me is a film and it's it's a tight 85 minutes of that and it looks stunning i think got a cinematography nod too if i remember correctly and it it looks absolutely stunning just like ida did before which is you know just a stunningly beautiful film um so yeah i I highly recommend it personally i think other people are maybe less taken with it but i don't think anyone thinks it's a terrible film among us maybe i'm wrong yeah well i mean no, I, I think it's fine. <laughs> is, is that is that your back of the box quote there, Sean? <laughs> no, I, I I it's a movie I admire. I, I like this more than Ida, but um, I just I I need to revisit it down the line, like years, and see if I can connect on it um, at a, just a different point in my life. Because um, when I watched it, I had a I had a fine time, but it just like it, it, there wasn't something that stuck with me, um, but. Yeah, I, I this type of filmmaking is something that really appeals to me, and and that uh, like um, Jack was saying, it sort of just like cuts to cuts to the beats and, and keeps going, like it moves on to the next thing in this elliptical structure, and uh, yeah, without any sort of regard for formal closure. Uh, that's all stuff that I really appreciate, um, but it doesn't connect with me on a certain level. Um, but yeah, that's. I think it may be the shortest of all of these films as well. Just to to hammer again, if you're going to watch any of these, it's definitely much shorter than Vice. Um, So I think Vice is like two hours, 15 minutes. So, you know, save yourself, have lunch, 45 minutes for lunch and watch. I'm pretty sure Best Picture Nom breaks two hours. But um, Uh. yeah, I'm in a similar vein with Sean on this one with Cold War. It's a film that I admire and it's absolutely gorgeously shot, but I, I, I hate to break out the pun again, but it just left me feeling cold. Like I feel like there's no real opening for me to connect with it. It's just a very much a intentionally distant film. Um, and Jack, if you know you, if it resonated with more with you, more power to you. But yeah, it's just a film 
And I was, I, I really liked Ida too. Um, I, uh, I, uh, Oh, I'm sorry. I got distracted by something on my computer screen. Um, but, uh, yeah. Um, yeah. Cold War is okay. I mean, <laughs> another, another strong endorsement. Well, I'll yeah. tell you what, guys, let's, let's move on to the last movie that we're going to talk about. Cause I know like, you know, Sean's been off the fucking deep end forever. So let's watch him dive in. And, uh, Sean, why don't you give us your, your big stump speech on why Lady Gaga should win best actress and why. A Star is Born is the best movie of 2018. Uh, I think I have it as second best, so don't be hyperbolic. <laughs> all, all of this, all of this talk about how you want to go off on on how A Star is Born is your fave, and then and then we get this. Come on, give me the hard sell. Uh, I love no, yeah. I mean, second best of the year, but um, definitely the best. Uh, my favorite movie of the entire Oscars crop. Um, it's a. Uh, it's a movie that um you know has been through the ringer critically of um you know a lot of people have uh serious problems with it and a lot of them i can recognize and um i i wouldn't deny certainly or at least some some of them i wouldn't some of them i think are are bad takes but um but then when i watch it uh it it just like it, it just hits me it's just a big ballad of a movie and it hits all of the right notes um you know it there's this big um end song that uh sort of parrots um a classic whitney houston song and it it, it really is just like a whitney houston ballad in movie form and so that that type of thing is right up my alley um but lady gaga's uh, performance is is just to uh, talk about pathos um but they also have this wonderful relationship this chemistry between them that um there's a comfort that they have together and that's something that i miss in movies a lot because uh, movies are often trying to find you know conflict between people and obviously they have like there are conflicts built into this um this story that's been made four times um but they just have like they still have this palpable love and comfort for each other and the times when the movie really indulges in that is really beautiful um and it also especially the first half of this movie has a similarly uh, elliptical editing structure that i i really really love it doesn't like this is a movie that you know the trailer played at nauseum um last fall and i went in fully expecting to you know just be rolling my eyes at like this latest um, disciple to David O. Russell. And it just was entirely not what I expected. Um, and there's a co I, I, I know a couple of us have not seen it, so I won't go into stuff that, that um, uh, you know, you shouldn't know going into it. But there's just a couple of cuts in this movie that um, really are moving and have stuck with me and it's just something that like when i get in a certain mood I, this is exactly what i want to yeah. watch i i will say with this movie going into it i expected to hate it and it consistently mm -hmm. surprised me i think it's a i think it's a really messy movie and not just because yeah. bradley cooper pisses his pants uh but because mm -hmm. uh, like literally in the movie he pisses his pants spoilers uh, i couldn't <laughs> spoilers. take it seriously after yeah. that uh, <laughs> but it's uh, it's just the the connection and the chemistry that Bradley Cooper and Lady Gaga have on screen pretty much drives the whole thing. Because if you look at it just on paper, you know, it, it hits all the beats that you expect it to. And it, structurally, it's pretty generic. And 
Uh, there, there are moments of it where you're like, oh, Bradley Cooper is surprising me as a director, and that's that's pretty cool. Um, but yeah, like it, pretty much the the relationship between the Bradley Cooper character and Lady Gaga character, and the chemistry they have as actor, actress, director, that propels the whole thing. And Andrew, and Andrew Dice, Dice Clay. Clay, yeah, and Andrew Dice Clay also makes it great. Uh, but yeah, I mean, for for me, this isn't one that like I wasn't bowled over by it, but. It's just, it just not. It's nice. It it sits with you nice. You know, it's it's like if you're if it's Christmas and you're watching It's a Wonderful Life or something. It's like yeah, it's a little schmaltzy, but it, like it just hits the right notes in certain ways. And it, it kind of it's it's that same movie to me where yeah, it's good schmalt like for or for me yeah, it's definitely schmalt schmaltzy and and when that schmaltzy you know that schmalt can be done well it. It, it, I don't know. There's something yeah, lovable. And we've it. reached a limit on the word schmaltz for the day. <laughs> All right. Uh, oh, it, yeah. The guy who uh, thought it was a good idea to watch Green Book and Vice instead of the Stars <laughs> Born. Uh, pipes in. Well, Myros, Myros is one of those religious figures that is uh, just, you know, marching through the streets and he's got uh, a bunch of guys carried across while he just, like, fucking whips himself. So that's, that's usually how he consumes film. <laughs> Pretty much. But yeah, this was something, the last thing I'll say on this is like, um, it's, besides, it didn't just surprise me as a competent movie, and I do agree, it's very messy, it's one of those things where like, it slips into extreme catharsis for me, but um, uh, at the end of the movie, the first time I saw it, it was one where I just like, I had to like, oh, like, uh, let people walk past me, like, I had to like move out of the way and just like sit there and just, I, I don't know it left me a, a, a wreck um uh to be honest well and that really speaks to the power of the movie too because you you kind of know where this one is going i mean obviously it's been remade a half dozen times but outside of that it the, the story really telegraphs itself so the fact that it, it is so emotionally affecting while being so I, I, formulaic is kind of has a negative connotation but again you, you know where the narrative yeah. is going but it's still emotionally affecting, which kind of speaks to the, again, the power of the, the, the people involved. Yeah, I don't know, guys. I don't like this movie that much. Um, yeah! Drag it, Jake! Drag it! The, yeah, the messiness of the film, I mean, this is, I mean, it's it just is really more amateurish than it is interesting. Um, I like Andrew Dice Clay. I like Sam Elliott. I do not like Lady Gaga or Bradley Cooper. Um, Lady Gaga in particular is, I, I think she's kind of awful in this movie. Um, and a lot of people really love her, but uh, I don't know if it's just the fact that her character seems wildly inconsistent with, uh, who she's established to be early on. Um, and just, but just her performance aside from the singing is, uh, not good. Um, I think the film peaks at the shallow moment which works as it does um but it's just really all downhill after that and bradley cooper peeing himself at the grammys is uh really awkward and unintentionally funny in a way that kind of hampers the rest of the film for me i don't i can't take it seriously after that i i don't know um, jake so i mean when I, when I think about the level of fame that i want i i think about like i want a cross between uh like dick cheney vice and uh bradley cooper star is born so i just i wanna i wanna get drunk and pee myself and then become vice president that's, <laughs> and then that's have six heart attacks that's yeah. fair i mean really if you look at my diet my general lifestyle choices that's kind of where i'm heading so i just got to figure out how to how to factor in fame into into all of this yeah i don't know it's just weird that a lot of people really attacked 
La La Land, uh, wrongfully so, and yet they all they champion the Starsborn. Yet it's the same sort of fantasy stuff that the Starsborn does. Like they get drunk and just, she sings a few bars of a song, and the next day I don't people? know they're out there. And to, the to be day, fair, I didn't like La La Land. <laughs> I haven't seen this, but maybe I'll hate it too. So maybe I'll <laughs> I'll be a righteous defender of hating everything. I don't know. La no, La Land I, seems to get a bad rap these days, and it's the the fantasy, oh, normal people fall in love element that seems to not work for a lot of people, but it's the, it's Lady Gaga just drunkenly singing a few lines of a song and then Bradley Cooper composing and adding more lyrics for a concert than very next night. That just does not work mm-hmm. for me. Yeah, I, I think, I think there's a, yeah, those are, ju- those, those jumps in, in um, reality, like, uh, I, they're not something that bugged me in a movie like this, but but I'm not sure about this narrative because, or even just looking at like Rotten Tomato scores, like La La Land has a has a little bit better of one. But um, I don't think that A Star Is Born is even going to come close to like the Best Picture nomination, whereas La La Land obviously famously got like second <laughs> second best. Um, I'm not sure, and and uh, maybe maybe now it seems a little bit soured to people just because it got to a certain yeah. height and it was next to something like moonlight. But, uh, yeah, I don't think, um, or at least in my, my, you know, timelines and stuff like that, Starsborn seems very much like normie, um, championed by normies, but by, uh, a lot of critical people either think it's like, Oh yeah, it's fine. Like a good debut or they think it's disingenuous. I actually, I see a lot of parallels between the two movies, and the the big difference that I see is uh, La La Land definitely has the the backlash thing working against it because uh, I don't because he taught jazz, yeah, yeah. <laughs> mansplaining jazz, the white guy mansplaining jazz to a lady. Uh, so it, it definitely got the the the. I, I don't. Like I, well, that's what I'm saying. I like both of them too, and I think they both kind of work on the same level. Whereas uh, Star Is Born feels like. The inverse of that, where it's 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 much more of a of a normie movie, but also because it seems like I, I feel like a lot of people going into it, these critics were on the same page as me, where they're just like, I've seen this trailer a thousand fucking times. There's no way this can be good. And then you're like, oh, mm-hmm. it's pretty good. And so it's it's kind of had the inverse reaction, whereas La La Land people are like, okay, no, now that I enjoyed this movie, I'm going to find a way to pick it apart. I don't know. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. All right. I, so, I mean, I, I'll be interested if if the other two people on this podcast that didn't make time for it uh, get around to it. I'll be interested. Yeah, um, that'll be our new segment. We'll just, I'll break in to tell you about Star is Born <laughs> next episode. <laughs> that'll be our new nine one one. I'm just segment. glad Jake is here. <laughs> Another Outback member. Watch I'm just glad Star Jake is, is here to be the uh, the vaccine to your optimism, Sean. Yeah. Oh, the namesake. That's 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 what he is. I I feel bad because it's just like I didn't watch the film. Just like there's no hook for me at all. But I've watched so many other dumb movies. Like why is there no? Why is this one standing out to me as a film that like literally just there's no there's nothing to draw me into it. I don't know why, but there's a strong chance I'll never see it. I don't know. So (laughs) (laughs) sorry, guys. It's okay. We still love you, Jack. We still love you. Uh, I mean, with that, we, we we pretty much covered all the big guns, so I think that, that pretty much wraps it up, more or less. But I want to take the last few moments of this beautiful podcast to do our put-over sequence, but I, I want you guys to focus in on, I want you to put over one movie that we didn't talk about today, maybe something that wasn't nominated, 
and just real quick, give me give me like the thirty second elevator pitch. So, Sean, why don't you go first? Oh, uh, I think that Clint Eastwood should have been nominated because he put out two fantastic movies in one year, and uh, one was um, understandably um, an offbeat movie that didn't strike a chord with the majority of people, um, and then the other one. Uh, is one that just crossed the hundred million mark at the box office. So, um, uh, he covered a lot of ground there, but, um, one, the, the mule was played more for, for counter programming for the Oscars. Uh, and yet it's better than the majority of things nominated. Uh, but either way, um, I think that both movies that he made this year were great. Um, uh, but at the same time, uh, we should, uh, I should probably also say Den of Thieves stuff like. Uh, <laughs> well, I should say I should say Chloe Zhao should have obviously been recognized, and it's weird because she's about to do this uh, Marvel movie next. Um, she made the writer last year, and um, it, it, it. I don't. I still don't understand why she was slated to do that because it seems like the type of trajectory if you make an indie hit that like was beloved by people, and it seems to not have that here it's not represented at all um uh, anyway it's a she made a great movie and should be recognized for all such. right fair enough i i think honestly what we've learned here because 2018 for those of you who don't know this has been the year of sean glennis's reassessment of clint eastwood and because he loves the star is born and because he loves clint eastwood uh i i truly believe that uh, a certain bradley cooper uh god bless the troops movie is is probably your favorite film of all time would you say so sean uh, it's a good movie. American Sniper, ladies and gentlemen. Sean Glennis's favorite movie. Uh, speaking of people who defend American imperialism, Myros, what do you think was missing on here? Uh, I'm going to go with a little movie called Eighth Grade, which uh, I think was probably the most vital movie I saw this year. Like, it, it just, it made me feel like an old man because I already felt like the earth had passed me by and this movie was about stuff uh, that I can't begin to grasp. Uh, but it also had a universality to it. And, uh, it just, it, it's the sort of movie that screamed like indie darling. I, I'm shocked that, uh, again, they're, they're not, I'm not complaining that they're nominating a Lanthimos movie, but it, something like eighth grade felt like, you know, it, 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 it could have come out of like a Sundance thing. It's better than the majority of what they usually settle on as a, as their indie, cursory nomination but i'm really surprised they didn't go with eighth grade this year because it's fucking really good all right jack how about you well i mean let's not forget that 2018 saw the release of twisted pair by neil breen (laughs) 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 major overlook there fantastic film um, I'm not too worried about what did or didn't get nominated. There are definitely overlooks like Burning and stuff. I think what I'm going to champion, though, is honestly, um, it's up for best documentary, but um, Hale County This Morning, This Evening by Ramel Ross is, I think, an absolutely superlative piece of filmmaking. It's, it's, not a, it's an unusual film to get an Oscar nomination for documentary because it's really... It's not like a, a, your typical Oscar documentary. It's not a film about an event or explaining something to you. It's really just a, a collage of images shot in Hale County and in Alabama over about a five-year period. It kind of follows two different men, 
but um, it's really it's it's a really free form kind of tapestry of just small moments. It, like it, it's it's just a beautiful, almost like re- reminiscent of Terence Malick, I guess. But actually, Abichapong um, Wirstakul, the the Thai filmmaker, wonderful filmmaker, was actually a creative advisor on this film. And it just has that sort of understanding that life can be captured and and distilled down to these small little kind of uh, interactions between people and sensibilities. It's just a beautiful, poetic, incredible film. It's like 75 minutes long, but it is like a whole world. And I just, I, I really think, it, you know, out of everything in the Oscars, just if you can see this film, go track it down. It's a really wonderful little film. So that's that's what I will elevate here. It's not going to win. <laughs> oh, well. <laughs> oh, well. All right. Uh, Jake, how about you? Yeah, I'm going to give a giant shout out to Burning, which seemed to have been completely forgotten by the Oscars. Um, but it's okay. The Oscars are terrible. Um, and Burning is not. Uh, this is the my favorite film of 2018 um, to film about a, uh, well, I mean, boy meets girl, girl meets other guy. Other guy is the guy she told you not to worry about or worry about however that fucking meme goes. Um, but Beta yeah, meets that's alpha. right. Um, but yeah, burning is one of the like most beautifully made and haunting films I saw in 2018. I almost don't want to say too much about it because I want anyone who has not seen it here or anyone who's listening to this, who has not seen it to just go watch it. Um, and I think not only was it snubbed from the best foreign film, um, uh, uh, what am I saying? A category. Uh, yes. Category. Wow. Um, but I think Steven Yoon is also, uh, my pick for the best supporting actor of 2018 yeah. as well. He gives oh, a yeah. fantastic performance in it. For sure. So, yeah. Burning. Check it out. Guys, right. I think we, we forgot the most important thing. John Cho was robbed. Oh no. Searching didn't oh, no. get any nominations. <laughs> what a shame. <laughs> Best Google search in a motion picture. Yeah. <laughs> Best baby boomer fumbling with attaching a file to an email. How to how to win an Oscar. Best, best, <laughs> shouting, best shouting at a high schooler via Skype uh, in a motion picture. That's the title of this episode. Yeah, that's that's how you do it. Well, I, I got to throw in my picks. So uh, for most of this episode, I've been freaking out about uh, these movies that are essentially about like class and race but have zero teeth so i'm going to throw out one that uh, has plenty of teeth and is certainly a lot more visually interesting than a lot of the movies we've discussed today sorry to bother you it's not perfect it's a big fucking mess but it's great and it's it's got a gazillion just really cool ideas bouncing around everywhere it's, I mean, Boots Riley is probably the most exciting new filmmaker working today, so definitely check that movie out. In addition to that, I want to put over the old guy from the, the Firefest documentary who is willing to suck dick to get uh, bottled water from Customs. He's the real MVP. And uh, other than that, I also want to put over my favorite news story of 2018, which is Mark Zuckerberg tasering a goat, murdering it with a knife, and then feeding it to Jack Dorsey at Twitter. But he didn't cook it properly. As no, well. he un- undercooked, <laughs> undercooked the goat. Undercooked the goat. Sarah. Yeah, Don't, rich people, they're just like us. They're just like us. I mean, come on. That's, that's how I spend my weekends. All right, guys. Uh, so with that, if you want to contact us, you can find me on Twitter at Steve Cuff. That's at Steve C U F F. Uh, you can find Optimism Vaccine on Twitter at Optimism Vaccine. 
You can also do us a huge favor, and you can go to the link that is in the description of this very podcast. You can click on that link, and you can give us a five-star review and write us a review. Just kind of say... Like, just write one line. Like, you could say, I I would go to customs and suck dick for optimism vaccine. You can write that and give us five stars, and we will take that, because when you give us a five-star written review that makes us more visible on iTunes, and the more visible we are, the more people can uh, find our podcast, and the more people that find our podcast, the more stuff that we can do for you, dear listener. Jack, where can people find you on the internet? I can be found on Twitter at RealJackEason, Eason being E-A-S-O-N. So yeah, you can find me there. Uh, it's not good, but you can find me. Yeah, don't settle for fake Jack Eason's either. Sean, where do we find you? <laughs> at Mr. Oh, Glenn. A little, little more enthusiasm, maybe? Come on, you gotta give us the sell. Uh, you can be one of... Uh, you can be another one of hundreds of other people who get my content free right mm-hmm. to your phone if you just put on yeah, notifications. But how, do you spell, but how do you spell Glynis? This is a question that has vexed even members of our own organization. M-R-G-L-I-N-I-S. Yeah. Um, if you're going to send me an invite to your wedding or anything like that, make sure it's G-L-I-N-I-S. And speaking of invites to weddings, uh, Jake, you're getting married soon. Congratulations. Also, where can people find you on Twitter? You can find me at Jake Tropila. T-R-O-P-I-L-A. So, ladies, just so you know, he's he's getting hitched, so no more marriage proposals for Jake. You can only send him death threats from here on out. That's, That's it. That's right. That's it. Slide onto those DMs with those death threats. Mm-hmm. Yeah, slide into all our DMs. <laughs> we want to hear how you want us to die. All right, uh, Myros, you're not on the internet, so I'm not even going to talk to you anymore. Uh, Jake, last word is yours, though. I'm off the deep end, watches are diving. He did that like a Kenny Rogers voice. That was good. I like that. Yeah. All right. Stop it. I hope hope it didn't blow out the microphone. I backed away from my mic. Oh. We're far from the shallow now, guys. Yeah.